Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined with my co-host, Jen Allen Knuth. And today, we have Jeb Blunt back on the show for a round two. He's someone that's been foundational to me when I was learning how to sell. Jen, why should people listen? So some of us have grown up in a post-COVID sales world where little to none of our sales activity is in person. The famous Jeb shares some excellent tactics for how we can make the most of in-person meetings and when and how and why to use them. And a three, two, one, get on an airplane. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. All right, Jeb, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah, number one is talk to people. Uh, the, if, you, if you think about where we are in the world right now, Talking with people is the most impactful thing you can do. And so many salespeople have go, gone asynchronous. So we're just sending emails to people or we're sending direct messages and we're using AI to do a lot of those conversations. So the most important thing, impactful thing you can do is talk with people. Number two is just because AI can do something doesn't mean that it should. There's a whole lot of tools out there we need to be aware of that are really tech solutions looking for a problem. So you want to be very careful with that. I got a bunch of uh, things in my kitchen that were exactly the same thing. I got, a, for example, an avocado opener 
that you know that costs I don't know ten bucks, but you can do it with a knife faster than that thing. And the la- and the last thing is communication blending. What we have to understand is that there are lots of ways we can communicate with people today. Use the communication channel and the communication method that's going to give you the highest probability of gaining your desired outcome at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. And you got to think about it that way. So it's all about the probability of gaining the outcome based on the communication channel versus what so many salespeople do today. Back to my number one tip is they just pick the channel that they're most comfortable with versus the channel that's going to give them the highest probability of winning. I should be doing almost a math exercise of thinking about like the amount of time I invest versus the amount of synchronous communication that I learn from the customer and they learn what's inside my head. What channels should I be opting for? If you think about it, the best way for us to communicate, the most effective way to communicate is in face-to-face. This year, in particular, because of the snapback from COVID, I'm 100% mm-hmm. close rate on every deal, every situation where I've been face-to-face, 100%. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not the most efficient way to close deals in my business because I work with people all over the world. So in a lot of cases, we want to go to video. Video works because I can see you. Jen said, man, I love your setup. I said, I got five setups like in this particular office. My salespeople are set up this way as well because we want to come off and look professional and we want to use good cameras and we want to give you the closest facsimile of being in person. Beyond that would be a synchronous conversation by phone. We've been selling on the phone for, you know, for a century. So we can, we can pick up the phone. We can call people, have a synchronous conversation. Beyond that, a synchronous conversation might be text messaging. I mean, these days with customers, especially when you go to relationship, there's some customers that you work with on a regular basis and they need to buy something fast. You can get the entire deal done on a text message. It's not abnormal to negotiate via text message. I can send you something overnight and then you get back with me and then we talk to each other texting. And then I can very quickly move that either to a voice conversation or a video conversation just in a moment. The problem for so many salespeople, we think about ourselves, what makes us comfortable? And this is a real problem right now because people are abusing email at a level that I've never seen before to the point where every executive I talk to says, I'm turning it off. I will not Mm -hmm. accept an email from a salesperson. I'm done with Mm it. If you talk to top salespeople, they tell you that right now, face-to-face is working very, very well. So even hybrid teams are getting back out into the field. It won't be like that forever. We'll have another pendulum swing back the other way. But my point is, is that you've got to do good enough discovery, have built deep enough relationship, have enough awareness to think that in this moment, what should I do? Yes, I could fire off a quick text message, but is that the right move on the chessboard at this moment? That's what human nuance is. Like that's that's our ability to think and be creative. So I want to ask you a question about when the customer suggests a communication channel that you know in your heart isn't right for the type of information exchange that needs to happen. So I'm going to give you a real scenario. Yesterday, I met with, there's a company I'm working to sell to right now. And I met with co-founder number one of this company. And we went through a proposal. He's like, this looks great. I feel on board. We need to get consensus from my co-founder. Let's schedule a meeting with that person for Friday and go through the same proposal. I said, awesome. So I send the calendar invite. I put a little agenda in the invite of, hey, here's context for what's going on. This is what we're going to do in this meeting. This is why we're here. I get a response from co-founder two earlier today. And he says, hey, Nick, thanks for your email. Thanks for your note. Things have been really busy and I'm really trying to guard my calendar. I looked at your website last night. Can you send me a short note to help me understand your reach, audience, and range of pricing so I know what we're talking about? 
Okay, got it. So, so in this situation, you have mm-hmm. to make a call, and I, you know, you have to make a call based on first the veracity of the first partner, the first co-founder's motivation to do business with you. And I wrote about yep. this just real quickly. Wrote about this in Inked, a book I wrote on sales closing and negotiation. It's something called MLP strategy, right? So that is motivation, leverage, and power. So in this moment, in in their situation, they have multiple options or multiple alternatives. The the party that has more alternatives has more power. So that's why you're like, I don't know what what do I do in this situation because you realize that you're in a tenuous situation with them from a, from a standpoint of other options where they could spend their money. Yep. The first partner super motivated to do business with you because they met you and anybody that meets Nick, man, I want to do business with you. Like, I mean, you're just like that good. Like the, the, that reason I'm back here is because I fell in love with you the last time you interviewed me. I'm like, I love this dude. So you've got that piece and you were able to make that connection with him. And you know, that's your gift. That's why you went and met with him in person or, you know, mm-hmm. at least face to face. So this other partner saying, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to talk to you from a motivation standpoint, I'm going to hold all of my alternatives over here. And you're like, what do I do? So your leverage is the other partner's motivation. And Mm -hmm. it's the information that you have. Does it make sense? So the Mm -hmm. question you have to ask yourself is based on that response, is this guy for real? Like, is this something where it would make sense for me to give him a quick executive summary, and then Mm -hmm. ask for the meeting? Mm -hmm. Or should you maybe loop back with the other partner and say, hey, I got a response from your, you know, your partner, your, your, your other co-founder. It seems like this person's not as interested in this as you. Could you shed mm-hmm. some light on that? And that way, at least you can get some flavor. Because the other, the other partner maybe say, no, 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 they're totally built, built, bought in. But this is just the way he does the world. He's just going to look at it, get it right. I've already explained it to him. We're ready to go. So especially if you've already given him a proposal. Now, if you haven't given him a proposal yet, now you need to hold on to that and say to the other guy, let's all get to together and at one time so I can give you both a proposal at the same time. And mm-hmm. you use that leverage to force them to dance to your tune because they want your numbers. Like they, they're interested enough to meet with you. They want your numbers. Those are the, I mean, that's the sales chessboard. Like that's what you have to be thinking about all the time. And in your shoes, like on the surface, like as you read the, the note to me, I go, I don't know, you know, if you've got a good relationship with them and you've got a good value proposition and they need you, you might say to the, you might send to the other partner, here's the executive summary of what we do, holding back maybe some information that they might want. Mm, On the flip yeah. side of that, what I would probably do in this situation is if I had a really good meeting with the, with the co-founder that I felt good about, like walking away from, and I felt like there's a relationship there where we can talk to each other from a transparent standpoint. So he says, he gives you the buying sign. I'm ready to move forward. We need to socialize this with everybody else. You've been sales long, long enough to know that that, that could be a death sentence if you don't get it socialized the right way. Mm-hmm. I would probably loop back to that person with a phone call and yep. just say, hey, I, I try to get on your, your, your uh, co-founder's uh, schedule. Uh, he says he's super really busy, doesn't really have time to meet with me. Could you help me out just a little bit here because I really want to do business with you and I don't want this to get vetoed at that place if I do this the wrong way. And then just yeah. shut up and let the guy talk. And he may tell you, hey, Nick, you're worried about the wrong thing. Just send it to him. And at that point, what are you going to do? The other thing yeah. that you could do is say, I totally get where you're coming from, but an executive summary of all these things probably won't give you everything you deserve. Why don't we find a time that's more convenient for you and offer some additional times? Then what you're doing at that point is testing that person's engagement. So you, what you want to do is see, are they willing to step forward and match your effort with something? So yep. I would do, I would, and you might do those two things in a combination. 
loop back with your partner, the other co-founder, one you have a relationship with, see if you can get some insight and then test this with the other guy saying, listen, there's, I really want to spend time with you because I need to, I need to give you the time you just deserve. Why don't we find a time that's more convenient for you and then see what happens? Because there, I don't think that either one of those moves is going to is going to get you kicked out of the deal. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think the right next action is I have a good relationship yep. with co-founder A. I should call that person because regardless of whether what approach I take, yeah. the suggesting other times, the sending executive summary, the other co-founder is going to help me understand this other person's yes. style, which will inform how I respond to that email. Yes. And I think there's another option where actually co-founder A is like, let me call him. Let yes. me get let me get let me get with my co-founder. I need to explain to him why he needs yes. to take this meeting. So going back to what you said about the value of in-person meetings, but the trade-off of the time investment yes. that you're putting in, can you break down for a listener who's maybe saying, look, I've got five, six people I know are involved in the deal. What is the decision criteria you use to evaluate? Does it warrant going in-person or, or should, does it make more sense to, to do it virtually? Well, number one, be the size of the deal, right? So so what okay. is the size of the deal and what's the impact on my firm? So 1,300 people, the size of that deal is massive and the impact on my firm is huge. So for, you know, for a training company, that's a monster deal. So first of all, I'm gonna look at what's the size of the deal. The other is proximity. Like where are they in proximity to me? Mm -hmm. So getting on an airplane clearly is super inefficient in terms of time and mm -hmm. relatively expensive, especially if you're going to Manhattan. If it's a big deal and they're close to me, I'm always gonna go in person because the cost is relatively low and, and, it, and it absolutely lowers the risk that I lose the deal. If I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm in you know, the United States, I'm in Georgia, and they're in, say, Mumbai, India, we're probably going to do that on video unless it's a you know, it's, you know, seven figure deal. Like, you know, if I'm in I'm in a deal where it's much bigger then I'd probably go there and I wouldn't do it necessarily at the very beginning. I would do it toward the end. So then I'm looking at where am I in the sales process? So if I'm going to invest my time in person, I, I would prefer to invest my time in person during the discovery process versus either the first time appointment, so getting to know them, or in the presentation process. Now, sometimes it makes sense to do a final presentation if you have a large stakeholder group, and I have been there and done this, where there are executives involved, and I haven't been able to meet everyone, and I've got a coach or someone who says, look, you need to come and do this. And I will do that. And when I do that, I've mapped everybody. Exactly what Nick says, I'm meeting with the, my coach in advance. I know everybody's going to be in the room, all their tales, who they are, how what their communication style is. I've done my research. I've got a war board. I've, I know their picture. I know where they went to college. I know their pet's name. So I'm using all of those things, Jen, to make a decision about whether I should be there. The final piece I use is just my intuition. Like I'm, I'm paying attention to in this situation, how, where do I feel like from a probability standpoint, I am in closing the deal. In other words, do I feel that they're into me? Are they motivated? Are they matching my effort? Are they engaged? For example, in Nick's case, I call up our, the first, you know, co-founder and the co-founder says, man, we are totally into this. This deal's going to happen. We've got to get in front of my, uh, my other co-founder. Hey, let's tell you what, I'm going to schedule lunch. Can you come here and let's go to lunch together? I'm going to lunch. Like I, that's going to happen. Use your time wisely. Most first-time appointments can be easily conducted in a video call. You can decide at that point whether does it make sense for me to drive down to Downey and go in and spend time with you. Does that make sense? That's how I do that. Yeah. 
Jeb, I want to ask you about, you spent three days in person with a customer on site mm-hmm. with them. And there's some salespeople where it's like spending three minutes in person with a customer makes my head explode. There's a lot of salespeople who are especially newer in their career who have not ever really mastered the or experienced the art of the the on-site. Yeah. And I'm curious if you can share some of the best practices for in-person meetings. And there's a couple things I'm thinking about, like I'm curious about attire. I'm curious about when you go to their office, are you meeting in a big group in a conference room? Are you meeting one-on-one with a bunch of different stakeholders? Are you setting up lunches? Are you setting up dinners? Are you taking people out for drinks? What are you actually doing in those meetings? If you sell software, are you watching how they do the comparable process today to show, hey, here's how you do it today. Here's how I do it. Talk to me about the things salespeople should be considering to nail their in-person meetings. All of the above. So all so if 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 it makes sense to have drinks, have drinks. If it makes sense to have lunch, have lunch. In some cases, a deal I closed a couple of years ago was, and this is right before the pandemic, we closed this deal with a. It was a startup company in in uh, San Francisco, and when I say startup, they'd gotten about a half a billion dollars in VC money in through. I think they were in their like their C round or something like that, but they'd gotten a lot of money in, and they were they were struggling to grow. And I had a conversation with their CMO on the phone, talked a little bit. We hopped on the video, talked a little bit about it. And I just happened to be in on the West Coast. So I was in the neighborhood. And I said, can I come by and spend some time just observing your team? So it was just discovery. So I spent two days there. I, I came in, spent a whole day walking around, listening to people, talking to people. We had dinner that night, came back the next day, spent another day and a half. And when I walked out, the deal was essentially sealed. I mean, it was, you know, Kevin says, just get me the contract. The reason he said that was because we spent time together. We built a relationship. It built trust. It showed that I cared enough to, to, to pay attention to them. I learned a lot. It saved them money because I did a lot of the work that I would have charged them as a consultant to do anyway. But I just happened to be there. And in the case of, uh, of going to Asia, we had meetings with people that had no decision-making authority, but we would call them amplifiers. These are individuals that are going to be impacted in the firm. So a lot of it was just interviewing them, spending time with them, learning about what they wanted. Mostly it was listening. Now, the thing about listening, and this is important for in, in person or anywhere you are, but when you're listening to people, it gives them ownership. They like you more. So a great deal of what we were investing in was getting people motivated to work with us. I wanted people walking out of those interviews saying, you got to work with them. And that's something we've used. I've used it my entire life. So a deal we closed three years ago was a $1.5 million deal, training deal. There were 27 stakeholders that we spent time with. Now, we did almost all of that by video because they were all over the world. But we would get them on just like this and say, tell me what's important to you. Walk me through this. If you could change this, what would you change? How would you do it? What's important? None of those people had any say in whether we we're going to get the deal done or not. But we asked to spend time with them because what we started doing was building these advocates. So when you're in person, what you want to think about is this. The first question that people are asking about you is, do I like you? And that's going to be at both the subconscious and the conscious level. So you asked about what do I wear? Well, dress professionally and dress like they dress. So if I walk into tech, like what I'm wearing right now, you can't see the bottoms, but I've got a pair of really nice custom-made blue jeans on. This This is what I typically wear when I'm walking in to software. I always wear a jacket. It's sort of my style. I like it. I'm fat, so it covers up fats, which is nice. 
So, but I, but I, I typically wear a jacket and, you know, a pair of nice jeans and a button down shirt or what have you. In some cases with some of my clients, I'll, I'll take this off and I'll wear a t-shirt because that's what they wear at work. But if you think about business, most business situations, most offices are pretty much business casual to some extent. And you never, you never, never, ever, ever, ever will will do anything wrong by dressing just a step above your customer. Now, if they're dressed in t-shirts and you're in a suit and tie, that's not okay. But if you're just, if you're dressed in t-shirts and you put on a sports coat, you're going to be fine. So you start there, confidence. You got to walk in and be confident. The most powerful emotional foundation for you for an in-person meeting is relaxed assertive confidence. Get your shoulders up, take a deep breath, walk in and not arrogant, but like you belong there. Do that. But the easiest way to be likable is just listen. So the problem that we have when we walk in is we waste people's time because we spend all of our time talking at them. But the most unlikable human being in your life is the person who is standing in front of you talking about themselves. So what, where salespeople fail is salespeople think, I got to go in and pitch logic. And the customer's just thinking, do I like you? And the, and, and the easiest way to be likable is to listen. They, the, 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 the other thing they want to know is, do you make me feel important? Do you care about me? That's what I'm saying. I go spend two days on site observing someone. I win just because I'm the, I'm the sales rep that showed up and demonstrated that I give a crap. So do you make me feel important? Do you get me in my problems? Do you understand me? And what people want to know is, that are you trying to understand them? So when you walk into an in-person meeting, understand that at that moment, sales is a language of questions. Anything that you say will be more impactful in the form of a question, anything. So ask a question. A question you ask is more important than anything. So take the time to learn about them and anything that you say, build a value bridge. In other words, connect the dots between what they say and their language and how you might be able to help them because in those meetings, what you're really working toward and getting to the next step you're rarely walking into in-person meetings, closing the deal. Like people, like Jen's asked, like, what would be your, you know, what would be your criteria? If it's a one call close, I can pretty much do that on the phone. If it's a one call close, I can do it on video. Unless I'm in a situation where people are coming to me. Like if they're walking into my door face to face, then it's a one call close. But if you're going out in person, it's typically a multi-call close. Like it could be two, three, four, five. If it's a really large deal, you could be two years into it, right? So you're closing for the next step. So you're using value bridges to get there. And then they just want to know, can I trust you? Can I trust and believe you? So Nick, your story about meeting with the co-founder and building a relationship and the co-founder gives you a hard verbal the co-founder saying, look, Nick, I trust you. I believe you. And I want to sign up for this. Thing is, is that I, I got to get other people in my company to go along with me because I'm not willing to put myself out there without some consensus from them. Now, the onus is on you to try to put that consensus together in the right way without getting vetoed out of the deal by the other co-founder who says, I, not my idea. I'm not paying for this. Make sense? And in that case, you got to pay attention. And this is why we, what we do in in-person you got to pay attention to the two types of buyers that you may run into. And this may be your situation. You have one buyer that can say yes, and you've got one buyer that can fund the deal. And if you don't know those two people, that can get you in big trouble because you get hooked with the person that can say, yes, I'll sign the contract, but you never get funded because you've got a CFO out there that you've never met. And the CFO, by the way, is the one most likely to say, just send me the numbers and I'll take a look at it and let you know. So what we're doing in person is we're basically walking people through this decision journey. Do I like you? Do you listen to me? Do you make me feel important? Do you get me in my problems? Do I trust and believe you? 
Those are the five decisions that people make about whether to do business with you or in the case of stakeholders who aren't direct decision makers, advocate for you. And here's what you have to recognize. And, and I get this, people are nervous doing this in person, but the same thing happens on the phone and the same thing happens on video. Your buyer, your prospects, emotional experience, as they walk through this decision journey with you is the most consistent predictor of outcome of any other variable. And this is why you, the salesperson, are so important. You're the most important tool in the entire toolbox, right? It's your relationship that you build with people that creates that level of trust that causes them to want to work with you. And Nick, your case is just so good for this because what you, what you basically said is, I was able to get this person to get so motivated to do business with me that they said, I want to do business with you. Like That's what we're trying to do with a face-to-face -face or an in-person meeting. Okay, so let's do another hypothetical situation. Let's say I'm a, a new rep. I've just landed my first in-person meeting. It's with a team that can say yes, can say no. It's like, this is yeah. my prime opportunity. Talk to us about body language cues, because I think when I first started selling, I was so focused on what I was saying and doing, I was not paying yes. enough attention to what they were saying. So what are some good body language cues, bad body language cues we should watch out? The for? problem with most new reps when they walk into a, a situation like that is because I had the same problem. Like you you had a, like my boss gave me a list of questions and I just went from question <laughs> to question to question to question. <laughs> and the, the, the people are falling asleep. And I remember, I remember the very first time I did this, I walked out in the parking lot because my boss was with me and he just looks at me and goes, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, I I had a list Been of there. questions, yeah. right? So the problem for most reps is they walk into those meetings at two really big issues. But number one is that they just go linear, right? So they're so focused on what they're going to ask that they don't really pay attention to what's happening. And this is called dual process. What you learn over time is to be both empathetic and outcome oriented, right? In other words, I know what I'm, I'm trying to get to. I know what information that I want. But at the same time, I need to allow those conversations to be organic. So I need to I need to shape those conversations with my questions. So my best advice for new reps in these situations is that what you want to do is think, how do I be in control? Like, how am I in control of the situation? Because you feel out of control. Like, that's probably when you first, like the first time you're like, I shouldn't be here. This is the wrong place for me. Run. <laughs> right. But the person who is asking the questions is in control. And if you're asking open-ended questions and you're getting people to talk, just get out of the way and let them talk. And then, and this is important to answer your question, you have to be intentional about deep listening. What deep listening is listening with your eyes, listening with your ears, and listening with your intuition. So when you see emotional cues, and you don't need to go to a body language class for this, right? When someone says something and you notice that there's emotion, it could be any emotion, a good emotion or a bad emotion, ask questions about that. And where a lot of new salespeople go is they go, I don't know if I should ask a question about that. Is that too sensitive? I mean, am I, would I be too pushy? What great salespeople do is they're, they're pushing everywhere. They push the button, push the button. And if they go down a dead end, they just pull themselves back and go down another roll. So that's what you want to think about in that situation is, is getting there. The, the second mistake that new salespeople make when they, when they meet face-to-face -face is they forget that at the end of the meeting, they got to close for something. So if you're a new salesperson, what I want you to do is before you walk into that meeting, and by the way, this is on phone and video too. Before you walk into that meeting, answer this question. What is my targeted next step? Why am I here? What am I asking for? And then with that intention in mind, 
make sure that you don't walk out of that meeting without asking for and gaining a micro commitment, a next step. That is the engagement piece, right? So if I was go back to Nick over here, Nick, you're probably telling me picking on you, but in a situation where you meet with the other co-founder, like if I was coaching you ahead of that, I would say, what would be the, the most obvious next step here? And you might say, well, close the deal. I said, well, if you can't close the deal, what are you going to get? And he goes, well, I'm going to get a commitment to meet with the other partner. Like, let's just say you knew that there were two there. I'm going to meet with the other co-founder. So how would you do that? Well, in that case, like looking back, now it's easy 20 20 hindsight, you would say to the partner, sounds good. It sounds like we're going to do business. Well, we need to meet with the other person. Can you do me a favor and call and set that meeting up? Like that would be my targeted next step. That would be what I would be closing for because now you're chasing, right? And, and the problem for chasing is that humans have a tendency to run from things that chase them. So that puts you in a bad position. So the two things I would say to you, Jen, is one, you have to be organic in those conversations ask questions and understand you're going for an outcome, a targeted next step, but allow the conversation to work. In the conversation, watch them. If you see emotion, ask open-ended questions about that. And then do not leave that meeting unless you've asked for the next step and make sure before you walk into the meeting, you know what the next step is that you're going to be closing for. Jeb, this has been phenomenal, but we're running out of time and we got to move to the final question so you can get to your in-person sales meetings. There you go. The last question for you is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing, and now I'm going to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question for you is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? It would it would be asking close-ended questions. So one of the biggest mis mistakes I see with, with especially young salespeople is that they think doing discovery is how many, how much, and they're you know they're asking you know are are you happy with your you know with your current vendor like those type of questions. Stop asking close-ended questions and start really really focusing on asking open-ended questions that get people to tell you their story. If you do that, you're going to get so much more information. People are going to lean into you because they're going to love you because you care enough to ask. And you're going to find that you're going to have the information that you need at the end of those meetings to either close the sale or close for the next step. Boom. Beautiful. Jeb, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. 
Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode with Jeb Blunt. Number one, when you're getting in person, generally you want to try to match the other company's attire, like what they're wearing. I don't mean wear the same color. I mean, if they're dressing in suits and ties, you probably don't want to show up in jeans and flip-flops. Generally, however, you will never go wrong dressing one level above your customer. So if you're not totally sure, you're always better off being a little overdressed than underdressed. Number two, use the right communication tool for the job. You need to weigh the deal that you're working against the time effort needed for the communication tool you're looking at against the impact of that communication tool. And that will help you decide, should I get on a plane? Should I get on a train? Should I get on a bus? Should I walk there? Should I call them? Should it be a video? Use the right tool for the job. Number three, when making the decision of whether or not to go into person, three things to consider. Number one, the size of the deal. Number two, the proximity to where you are and the travel and expense costs that would be required to get you there. And then number three, where are you in the sales process? Discovery, according to Jeb, is actually probably an ideal moment to do it. Number four, last and final, before the meeting, make sure you ask yourself, what is that targeted next step I want to achieve? Of course, we want to close the deal. But what is that micro commitment you want from them so you can stay focused and make sure you get to that by the end of the meeting? Boom, beautiful. And the micro commitment that we want the audience to take today is what, Jen? How can people help us out? Follow 30 Minutes to Presidents Club on LinkedIn. And don't forget to give my wonderful co-host, Nick Sigelski, a follow as well. Oh, I deeply appreciate that, Jen. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.